The first time Emma ever spoke in this auditorium was on a recording. She might have been a first grader, but she had memorized Psalm chapter 1, and knowing that she wouldn't know any better, and with her parents' enthusiastic support, I played the little recording of her lisping, uh, still learning how to speak English properly voice, reciting Psalm 1 as an encouragement to all of us that, yes, we can memorize Scripture. So it is a pure joy to see her up here as a young lady now leading the rest of us in worship. Parents, stick with it. Your kids need you now to give hope and guidance and perspective more than they ever have. Listen, none of us have sufficient resources to deal with this. Is that evident to everyone by now? That nobody really knows what they're doing? at any level of society, beginning with pastors of local churches. We're all trying to figure it out. But we have a God who is the God of all hope, who is the God of all comfort, who is the God who gives peace. So all of you in your circle, but especially you parents who have little children looking to you for stability and reassurance that this is not the end that God's promises are still true, please, please, please don't lose hope. Don't stop giving hope. On the way here, because it's one of the things we can do now in this strange new environment, I get real-time feedback on my Apple Watch as I'm preaching sometimes. I have to remember to shut it off because nobody likes to hear real-time criticism. You're blowing it. This is going on too long. We get it. Please move on. Nobody wants to hear that or read that during their actual sermon. But in this strange new environment, I listened to a sermon on the way here, and five minutes in, I just wanted to keep on driving out into the desert and, and just give up somewhere, because there's no hope in it. Folks, we have all the hope in the world. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It is the settled assurance that Jesus already won. The battle is still raging, but the war is actually already, it's already over. The, the outcome, at least, is not in doubt. So take firm hold of the gospel and the hope that you've been given in Christ and give it as generously as you can to everybody else. We need to be hope dealers now more than ever. People are desperate. People are looking everywhere for a solution, everywhere. They're looking in the same tired, broken places that they've always looked. They hope that this time they can patch up the well enough to draw out life-giving water from it. And it won't work. It never has worked. And if you know Christ, you know that. Now, show them that it makes a difference. Stay faithful. Stay hopeful. Stay generous. Stay positive. Stay loving. Speak peace into conflict. Use a soft answer to turn away wrath. You matter more than ever as the representatives of Jesus on earth. And this isn't even the sermon. I don't know what got into me, quite frankly. I was just listening to little Emma sing. And it filled me with joy to know what her family has been through and is going through. To watch her grow up from not being able to enunciate properly to singing as beautifully as she does and being a, an example and, and a leader for her 
own pastoral staff and worship. It's beautiful. This is what it's about. This is why we're family. This is why we stick with it. This is why we don't give up. Fair enough? Let's pray, and I'll actually try to preach. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Help me in the minutes that I have to present the fullness of hope that we have in Christ in this difficult time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, for our online guest, if you're just joining us, got a phone number for you, 714-868-SALT, S-A-L-T, easier way to remember the word than the numbers. If you're new, text the word welcome to that number, 714-868-SALT. If you have questions about following Jesus or God has brought you to the point where you are ready to place your faith in Christ, text his name, the name Jesus, to that same number, 714-868-SALT. Or if you're numerically inclined, I'm not, that's why I'm a pastor, Uh, 714-868-7258, but I think that's kind of complicated. It has been for me, 714-868-SALT makes much more sense because Jesus said something about us that we are, what now? Salt of the earth. We should be. So, welcome. Whatever you want to do with this church, you can do it online. You can do it through the app. You can ask for help. You can ask for prayer. You can give. You can volunteer your time. We've got, we're trying every week. Thank you for your continued patience with us. We're trying to improve the online experience for you because we know that is how most of you are still joining us, and we're thrilled that you are. We're trying to make it better every week. And now I'd like you to open your Bible to where we've been as we conclude this series, 1 Peter chapter 5, please. 1 Peter chapter 5. And I'm reminded as I come to the end of this passage of something my older son said his senior year. He, was, he had been a football player for three years of high school. Now it's the senior year. Not sure if he's going to play in college or not. Not sure if he wants to. All he knew about his senior season of football was this. He said, Dad, I'm tired of building character. I want to win. Because for three years of mostly getting smacked in the mouth, I had told him before and after games that these were wonderful character-building opportunities. You may be feeling like that, that you've had quite enough character-building opportunities and you're ready for a win. True? You might feel like my Bible college roommate who, according to him, and I hope there's no liability, surely the statute of limitations, if any, has expired by now, reports to me that he was in Six Flags over Texas on a famous wooden roller coaster called the Judge Roy Scream. It's a big wooden roller coaster like they have at Knott's Berry Farm. Ghost Rider, I think that treacherous thing is called. And he was clambering up to the top with a good friend, and they look down at the bar that's holding them safely and giving them the hope of life And one of them said, wouldn't it be funny if this thing popped up and he hit it hard from the bottom and it did just that, it popped up. It gave them three seconds to stare intently into each other's eyes, thinking it might be the last person they see on earth. And then they stood up and screamed in each other's faces all the way down the roller coaster, holding on to the bar. And at one point, my roommate pulled the other kid in because he was slowly losing the fight with momentum and inertia. 
Maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel like this is a giant unsafe roller coaster and you're quite ready for it to be over already. Does that sound familiar to anybody? And they keep adding turns and they keep adding twists and there's fire in certain parts on the roller coaster and it appears that the roller coaster itself may be on fire sometimes. It's a tough time. What we need is perspective from people who suffered before us and that's what 1 Peter 5 gives us. The Christians who received this letter were under imperial persecution. They had lost much. They had literally been scattered. They they are addressed in the beginning of the letter as a scattered people, meaning to save their life, they had to run. And this is the ancient world where hardly anybody has much of anything already. This likely means that many of them fled, literally with the clothes on their backs and maybe one day's food packed packed among their clothing. It is to them that Peter gives this letter that primarily speaks about how to behave when you're suffering. And I've broken a few preaching rules by really slowing down in a passage that could have been preached in a single week. I want you to look again at that passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll pick it up. My job description, if you're interested in reading it later, is in 1 Peter chapter 5 and the first four verses. But then Peter turns to the whole congregation and says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So two weeks ago, I told you the primary thing in suffering is to humble yourself under God's hand, and the way you do that is not by getting stronger yourself, but by throwing the crushing burden of anxiety onto Him. People who are genuinely humble are continually telling God, I can't do this, I need you to take this from me. And human pride doesn't want to say that. Verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And that was last week. Last week, we said that having cast our anxieties on God, we needed to pick our head up and be serious and alert, knowing that primarily based in fear and anxiety, we were in a spiritual warfare, we were in danger of being attacked and devoured. What we needed to do was stand firm in our trust in God so that we would not be defeated. Because God will win, the question is only whether we will trust Him in times of suffering. And now verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'd love actually to hear your voices read that, those two verses with me if you have the same translation that I do. I'm in the English Standard Version. If you don't have that, you can just listen so we don't have a, a confusion. But if you, would, if you have it, if you would read that with me quietly, I'd love to hear it. 
Peter made us this promise. It is the Word of God, so it is the promise of God. Read it with me. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What are we being told? Simply this, church. I won't take long. You're being told to hold on that by knowing that in suffering, God will make you stronger. That's a continual theme in Scripture. Hold on. Do what my terrified roommate did on that faulty roller coaster in Texas. Hold on. You won't only have a great story to tell, you'll be better for it because God actually is in charge of everything. And Peter gives them here in these two short verses, I find three things to remember as you hold on and three reasons to hold on. Here's what gives you hope to hold fast to Christ, to hold fast to hope, to hold fast to love, and to remember that you have not yet been defeated. That you're not defeated if you're in Christ until you decide that you have been and you decide to start ignoring His promises. Only then will you actually be defeated. So long as you continue to trust God and throw your anxiety on Him, knowing that He is stronger than any fight you will face, including the fight of, that your adversary brings against you, and you remain humble by throwing your anxieties on Him, keeping your wits about you, knowing that you remain in a spiritual battle. You can and you will hold on. And here Peter gives us three reasons. Here's the first. Suffering is only for a season. It's only a little while. Look at verse 10. Peter said, after you have suffered for how long? A little while. But suffering lies to you, and it makes you think that the days are actually years. Isn't it funny how suffering changes your perspective of the passage of time? Doesn't it feel like we've lived through about four years already? Yes. Won't school children have a wonderful time studying history 20 or 30 years from now when they come to the year 2020? What happened? And then what happened? And then it's just going to be a never… They're going to get basically what normally happens in a hundred years pressed into a few months. But Peter says, suffering is only for a little while. Suffering is only for a season. I was explaining to uh, Byron, actually, we had a, a, a good time to talk and to pray for ourselves and to pray for you before the service started. Admiral Stockdale was an American hero. He fought in Vietnam and was prisoner in the famous, infamous, rather, Hanoi Hilton. He emerged from that, his body broken, but his mind intact. And they asked him by way of interviewing him and asking him what made the difference to allow him not only to cling to life, but to have a greater career after his captivity than what he had begun, become actually an admiral in the Navy in which he served. They asked him what the difference was between the men who died and the men who lived. He had a surprising answer. He said the optimists died first. And he said the people who were continually giving reassurances will be out of here by Easter. 
And Easter would come and go, and they were still captive. And then he said, well, we'll be out of here by Christmas. And Christmas would come and go. And they say, surely by next Easter, I'm sure we'll be out by next Easter. He said, they all died of a broken heart. And the author that recounts his story actually invented a term, which he calls the Stockdale Paradox, which is this. What Admiral Stockdale and his fellow survivors were able to do was fully acknowledge how grim and awful the circumstances were, and at the same time have the unbroken faith that they would prevail in the end. They were not optimistic in the sense that they denied the horror of their reality, but they were undoubtedly hopeful and trusting that somehow they would win in the end. And I've spent frankly, the last year reading such stories for some research and writing I'm doing. Why am I telling you that story? It's not merely an inspirational American story. It certainly is that, but it's actually a pale picture of the gospel itself because life on earth, we had forgotten, but now we are daily reminded life on earth is hard. Have you noticed? It's filled with fears and unfairness. It's filled with losses of all kinds. It's filled with grief and undeserved and unexpected troubles. It's filled with foolishness and wickedness. Life on this earth is hard, but you may have noticed the back of the book says we win in the end. That's the Stockdale Paradox. We can call it actually the hope of Christ. One great artist said it like this, it will be okay in the end, so if it's not okay, this isn't the end. Sometimes people sing biblical truths without knowing it. Peter says it's only for a season. Keep reading, 1 Peter 5, verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That tells me the second thing that I can hold on to while I'm suffering is this. God's love for me and God's love for you is unchanged. That's another lie that suffering tells you. It tells you if the circumstances are this painful, it can only mean that God has walked away from me. You don't have to tell me, but just ask yourself honestly, have you felt like that? If you have, you're in good company. The Psalms are filled with such songs. How long will you forget me, O God? How long will you hide your face from me? David said in Psalm 13. That's a man after God's own heart. He felt for a time forsaken. In Psalm 22, he opens with this piercing question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Suffering tells you that you were wrong to believe that God loved you, and it's not true. 1 Peter 5.10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all, what? The God of all grace, that's who God is. His love for you is all grace. He loves you because He's that good. He is determined to love you. He is steadfast in His resolution to love you. How much did He love you? He loved you enough, Father, Son, and Spirit, the one triune God, loved you enough so that each person of the Trinity, and that's a theological mystery, God loved you enough for the Father to send His Son for you. 
to suffer all of your temptations, but unlike you, keep every one of God's commandments so that where you were lustful, Jesus was pure. Where you lied, Jesus was truthful. Where you were a coward, Jesus was courageous. Where you were lazy, Jesus was diligent and hardworking. He covered the entire human experience because he became a human being, lived and died in your place, and rose from the grave, not for his own sake, but so that he could give you his eternal life. That's why Jesus said in the Gospel of John, because I live, you will live also. That's the love of God for you. That's how deeply God loves you. If you need a reminder, hold 1 Peter chapter 5 and look with me a few pages earlier in the book of Romans. This is a different writer, a different apostle, but one perhaps even better acquainted with suffering than Peter was. And this is what Paul told us in Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 31, Paul wrote, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. I don't want to preach a second sermon, but I want you to see what Jesus has done for you. He came, He died for you, He rose, and He is even now at the right hand of God, speaking to God on your behalf. When you have nothing to say to God and you don't know what to say to God, understand your advocate speaks for you. Do you have any idea how loving that is? Do you have anybody in the world who will always advocate for you? You probably don't. The people who love you most on earth will someday say to you, you're on your own on that one. I didn't tell you to do that. That was a stupid thing to do. You're going to have to figure that one out on your own not your advocate. He always speaks to the Father on your behalf, eternally presenting His life, His righteousness, His goodness for you. So whatever you're going through and however you've sinned through this thing, your advocate has covered you even then. He speaks to the Father eternally, and I don't really understand that because the Father Himself loves you and is satisfied with you, so I don't really understand, but I'm thankful for the eternal presence of the Advocate who says, look at verse 34, who indeed, who indeed is interceding for us. Catch the verb? What's Jesus doing right now? He's interceding for you. All these hundreds of millions of Christians in the world, all of these suffering people, our brothers in the Middle East who I communicated with, again, to whom we are sending more relief because things have gotten much more dire on the other side of the world than they ever thought about being here. Jesus is interceding for them. This is how much you're loved. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Why is that verse there? Because that was the present experience of first century Christians. They were being hounded and killed as if they were defenseless sheep. 
But Paul says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am sure, I bet a pandemic can be fit into this list. Let's see. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, there it is, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're loved. Will you doubt it? Of course. Will you complain about it? Yes. But you'll always be mistaken because you are eternally loved, because God's love for you is unchanged in suffering. There's two things to remember so far. Suffering's only for a season, and all the way through it, God's love for you is unchanged. First Peter 5.10, and we're through, gives you the third thing. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Third thing to remember, third thing to hold on to as you try to hold on to God in a time of suffering is this. God's purpose for you is unchanged. His love hasn't changed and his purpose doesn't change because Peter said, God is the one who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. And not even death can change that. In fact, in God's victory, death is actually the thing that he uses to finish the work he began in you to make you fully like Christ. Think about that for a second. The last thing that God will do for every believer on earth is use their death to finish the work of making them just like Jesus. The process of discipleship to Jesus is becoming like Christ. And the most encouraging thing to me through the pandemic, there have been a lot of discouraging things, believe me, but the most discouraging, the most encouraging thing I've heard through all of it is so many people have voluntarily, spontaneously sent me an email or a text or had a personal conversation that's saying, I'm doing things as a Christian that I had forgotten to do or that I'd never done. In other words, they've used all the pressure and all the suffering to cooperate with God's eternal purpose to make them like Jesus. And God's eternal unending purpose is to bring you into His eternal glory in Christ. And Peter says, when God is done with this brief season of suffering in which He will love you just as fully and strongly as He ever has, verse 10 says, God will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That little reflexive word for you grammarians, God will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That emphasis is there in the language of the Bible on purpose. Peter doesn't want you to miss that this season of suffering will soon be over, that God's love and purpose for you has not changed. And when it's over, God himself is going to be the one who comes to you and comforts you and strengthens you and establishes you and makes you stronger and better than you would have been had you not gone through the suffering. 
He reserves that ministry. He reserves that privilege. He reserves the joy of comforting you to himself. And if you're not a parent, you won't fully understand the depth of how precious it is when our children are in trouble that they want to talk to us. My boys are older now, and they're starting to have grown man problems. And it's a tough season because they're grown men. And they could do what I very often did when I was their age. I would go through a tough season, and I would not tell my parents because I thought to myself, I'm a grown man. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I know they do too. I don't know how much. I can never know that. But I can't tell you the joy that is mine when either of my sons, but particularly the one who is already away from home on the other side of the country, when he calls in a time of suffering or need for him and he wants to talk to me about it, I'm so grateful. It makes me so sad that he's going through something and so grateful that he wants to tell his father about it. I'd rather he tell me than one of his stupid friends. I'd rather he tell me than chance telling somebody who doesn't love him. Your father wants to hear from you. You can pour it all out. All your doubts, all your fears, all your accusations, you can tell him everything. I'll tell you something. He already knows it anyway. You might as well tell him. Take a cue from David. There are little sections in the Psalms that you can read and ask yourself, does David even know God? Does he believe in God? Because these two verses here, that doesn't sound like a believer to me. What's he doing? He's just telling God the truth of what suffering has brought to his mind, of how suffering has weighed down his heart. And Peter says, after a brief season of suffering, verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, the God who never stops loving you, who in spite of what suffering tells you, still looks at you with loving grace, that God who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So what do you do? You hold on because God's purpose for you is unchanged. His love will not falter. His purpose will not change. Suffering is only for a season. So please, church, hold on because God will make you stronger. The only way to miss what God is doing is to stop humbling yourself before Him. Stop casting your burdens on Him. Go asleep in the fight and, rem and forget in your weariness that there is an actually an adversary that hates you. That's why all these character traits of humility and casting anxiety on God and staying alert in a spiritual fight and clothing ourselves with humility not only toward God but toward one another, that's the very character that God is at work developing in a season of suffering. This is going to be you so long as you hold on. Listen to it again. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself 
Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you if you keep holding on, if you keep your trust in God, if you keep humbling yourself before Him, if you keep casting your anxieties on Him, if you keep your head up and your eyes on Him rather than on the adversary, when this is over, He is going to restore you, He is going to confirm you, He is going to strengthen you and establish you. Four verbs that are very closely related to say that you're going to be better and you're going to be stronger so long as you hold on in a season of suffering. So please do. None of us would have wanted this. Any one of us who could make it go away with a prayer or, a simp- or a, an action would make it a, go away right now. But we can't. It's not up to us. The good news is we know who is for us and what He wants to do for us and what He wants to do through us. So please, church, hang on. Let's pray together. Could I just give you there at home, for those of you watching, a moment to get serious with the Lord. This is not the time to shut off the broadcast and say that you've heard the sermon. This is a time to reach out to God and to do business with Him. Same for those of you who are here in the room. Have you forgotten how much God loves you? Have you mistakenly believed that this would go on forever? Have you lost sight of the fact of what God's eternal purpose is for you to make you like Jesus and take you to glory in Christ? Tell him about it. Tell him the whole story. Thank him for loving you the way he does. Ask him to do the good work in you that he wants to do at all times, even in this season of suffering. For those of you who maybe you're at your wit's end and you're finally, finally ready to give up on yourself and trust Jesus, could I ask you to reach out to us via text? Let us know that. This text number, 714-868, and the word SALT. Easy way to remember it. Text us his name, the name Jesus. That's 714-868-SALT. If you're new and you need prayer, you need encouragement, we'd love to hear from you. You can text us the word WELCOME to that same number, 714-868-SALT. We really are a family. We're a suffering family at present. For some of us, this hasn't been that bad. For others, it has been the ordeal of their lifetime. We'll bear one another's burdens. We'll trust in the God who told us he loved us eternally. We'll trust his word that suffering is only for a season. We'll trust that when it's over, he himself will come to us and restore us, confirm us, strengthen us and establish us. Father, that's our prayer. That's our prayer, that you would do just that. I pray for the hurting, Lord, for those who don't have hardly strength enough to pray to you. I pray for them, that they would reach out to you in their moment of weakness and find your strength. They would reach out in their moment of suffering and find that you are sovereign 
You love them. You've done all these things for them. God, dismiss us in your grace, and this week let us deal and lavish hope and truth and love wherever you take us. Bless us, Lord. We ask for your provision. We ask for health and strength and enablement. Provide for us, Lord, what we cannot find in ourselves so that we would hang on to you and represent you well. In Jesus' name I pray.